Shit Platypus Says, episode tradition going back for left activity on may day yeah may 1st uh may 1st which actually came from the united states from chicago there was this demand for the eight hour day and there were socialists and anarchists uh union members workers reformers i mean just several gatherings for the eight hour day that then turned into a conflict a conflict with the with the police with the with the city and uh, led to a pretty explosive confrontation, which we call the Haymarket, Haymarket Day. And since that time, since there were these trials where people were, were killed by the state, they were hung by the state, literally, hundreds of thousands came out to the funerals of these martyrs. And since that time, people have honored May 1st on the left by uh, protesting and putting placards but you know now things have become more of a of a ritual and people don't really know this history or have one specific demand so it's it's a kind of a long forgotten thing and it was at the end of the 19th century in 1886 yeah in the uk the left has been out protesting a controversial police crime bill um that's going to allow i think changes to sentencing in courts and also the bill is gonna create restrictions on people protesting in public so i guess a curtailment of civil civil liberties and it's also gonna allow what kind, what kind of restrictions i think there's something i've in the bill that says if you're creating a public nuisance the police have tougher powers to kind of disperse the protest and clamp down on you and actually hand you quite a hefty fine and also they're going to give the police greater powers to be able to fine you if you topple a statue as well so it's it's, uh, it's bound up with some of the recent protests that have been happening in the uk and and across the world i guess yeah so the left the left was out they were out with their drums and their speakers and their music and um but like a a bad festival is how i would describe it i didn't go but i've been tracking it online anyway so the, the left was there and it seemed like it was just the kind of um the movement social justice activist left i couldn't see um any um like hardcore sectarians they're often hidden they are hidden. hidden. <laughs> I was looking for placards, couldn't see them. But I mean, if you were yeah. if you were there and you're involved in those organisations, then it would be great to hear from you. But um, it was organised by Sisters Uncut here in the UK, and they were involved with other um, activisty groups like London Renters Union, and I think another one of them is Swarm, which is a sex workers advocacy and resistance kind of thing. And resistance. So mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, Sisters Uncut has made this coalition of about forty other different groups and um they organized this big protest and i think about ten thousand people were there um and they were trying to disrupt the bill's progress through parliament and highlighting the bill's attack on racialized communities and the right to protest and 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 things like this they're just trying to put pressure on the state and the government to stop the bill i don't even think the aspiration is to 
stop it because I think they know that's not going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that a lot of it is um, awareness, right? I think that some people think about it in those terms, like having a presence and getting people to learn about it so they can get quote unquote down with the real work, although I don't know what that Mm -hmm. means um, for the Stop the Bill campaign. If there is a door-to-door reform sort of campaign, although I imagine maybe that's hard with Corona. I have no idea what like their practice is like. But well, the the overall goal of um, Sisters Uncut, like the um, who were the organizers. So it says on their feminist that one of their overall goals is a long-term funding plan for central, local, and developed government. Funding must go to specialist organizations. Services must be run for for survivors, not profit. And so there's, there's kind of no idea of overcoming capitalism or thinking about like what are the police and why are there police and what does that mean and, and what would it take to, to overcome that need. There is a maybe a somewhat of a comparable phenomenon happening here in Berlin. Um, there were there was a platypus group of, of us that went out to see what was going on the protest and get our leaflets and our newspapers and chat about it afterwards and one of the big um one of the more prominent presence was this uh Dilinka, uh propaganda group that is against the raising of rents that has been going on in berlin there's been this mm-hmm. massive increase of rents and recently the Mietendecke, which was supposed to cap the rents in berlin was found unconstitutional apparently the the law was actually very poorly written. I was talking to some lawyer friends of mine and they said that uh, they did really a, a bad job at um, trying to implement this reform and it seemed like actually a lot of politicking and playing with people's lives. So what's happened since this was found unconstitutional is that people's rents have gone up significantly. Mm. And so there's this campaign out in the streets that you could see on May 1st, people were trying to get signatures to put pressure on government, but mm. you know, it's it's kind of bizarre because now what they're calling for is like expropriation so that the government can have mm, ownership of this of these buildings and create more public housing as opposed to having these be open for private markets that have been coming into Berlin over the last like 10 years. But in an increasing the crisis created this opportunity for a lot of foreign investment capital. And so. I don't think that's going to happen either. And just the idea that, you know, Delink is going to be leading some kind of expropriation of private property owners, uh, I think is like a pipe dream. And so it's kind of funny, like using the terms, right? Like using terms that actually mean real things like expropriation or stop the bill. Like, and yet when you look at the means that they're using, you see that actually the goal is much different. It's just to put pressure, right? To get a better deal, right? You say this big thing in order to quote unquote, get a better deal. And so you're just an appendage of like the capitalist parties really. So those people were out in in full force. They had their little purple and yellow outfits on trying to get signatures and stuff. And then the rest of the people, we saw some Trotskyists. There was the internationalist group or the international group, the internationalist group, the split from the Spartacists uh, for the fourth international. That's what their slogan is. And they also, there were also Spartacists there. There were like two in the wild. And we went up to one of them and talked to her, got the newspaper or got a pamphlet and they had changed their minds on the lockdown. So that was one thing that was common among the little Trotsky sects that it was as if, 
a year later, they had realized that they they should have had a critique of the lockdowns and they kind of seeded this critique to the right instead of speaking up for workers that didn't want to just accept the terms of government. So she was telling us that they had corrected themselves and they had put out a pamphlet, Nida mit dem Lockdowns. So mm. down with the lockdowns. Do you think this and... is to do with when they when they made their first statement on lockdowns, there was Trump or something, and now there's Trump is not there or something, and they can change? Yeah, no. maybe that's part of it. They're just, you know, late to the game, though, right? I mean, it is the case that anybody with any kind of criticism against the lockdowns didn't have anyone on the left, at least not in Germany, not at all, like at all, you know, in instead, actually, like here, there's kind of an opposite demand or an opposite response by the left with this zero COVID campaigns that we've talked about before, uh, and that have been featured in our panels that you know that more restriction in fact more more shutting down that yeah. the workers don't know better that that you know like the crisis is bad for everyone and so everyone should be shut indoors and so it's it's mm -hmm. funny now that a year later right maybe too late they're quote unquote correcting themselves mm -hmm. but for the most part it was just a hodgepodge of existing groups with a hodgepodge of existing concerns so um, you know, anti-patriarchy uh, against the police, although, you know, yeah. the police in Berlin was full up, you know, I mean, like I'm, I've lived in New York for a decade, so I know what it's like to have like a police presence in the streets, but here it's ridiculous. I mean, it's just like the full force of the police is wild. Um, oh, really? And they were just, <laughs> yeah, they were out. It was a real show of force, like, and, and, you know, so there's this kind of spectacle part of it but on both sides right on the side of the state to just be like just so you know yeah. you know we let you have your little games but if you want to really fuck with us this is what it looks like like that's yeah. kind of the vibe yeah and then on the other hand the people at the end of the day in may 1st here it's like tradition to burn something up right so there were some car burning some trash i think mostly trash burnings and mm. i saw some friends took some photographs of it and you know, it's all very romantic and glamorous people smoking yeah. cigarettes by you know lit cars and shit like that and the police lets it happen meaning mm -hmm. they know that they have to have their little ritual at the end of the night as long as mm -hmm. it doesn't get too crazy in the uk the police um i think they let the protesters do their thing and then they did kind of step in towards the end because they were using the guise of stopping corona right so they so they were there to break it up and make sure that Corona wasn't spreading, stuff like this. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. You know, again, I'm I'm from the U.S. where like the interactions with the police are a bit different, at least in New York. But here, what the police does is they set up quite early before May first, and they shut down a lot of the streets. I live in Kreuzberg, and there used to be massive, massive May first demonstrations in this mm -hmm. part of town, and now it's like puny. Um, but they set up way early so that the neighborhood here has a chance to interact with the police, you know? Mm -hmm. The kids are happy because the streets are shut down so they can rollerblade and ride their bikes and the moms come out and the police say hello. Just so everybody knows that they're here to maintain order to protect you. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it was just like a, a show of, of, of the usual. Nothing, nothing to write home about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I heard um, another platypus member, Erin, right? She's been to the protests in New York. 
Yeah. We can just play Erin's clip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's got something to say. She's got something to say. This is Erin reporting from New York City. Mayday here was pretty boring. I tuned into the Jacobin live stream for about half an hour. It was, as you might imagine, broadcast from several apartments in Brooklyn. So I think it counts as a New York City Mayday rally. They were discussing Hitler and National Socialism and insisting that the Nazis never would have supported something like Medicare for All, despite having socialism in their party name. This is ironic because, of course, the Nazis, they, they did have uh, national health care um, because they're progressive capitalists. Because you don't have to be a socialist or a revolutionary to have national health care. In fact, you can be a reactionary and have state health care. But that's neither here nor there. In other news, the Revolutionary Communist Party had a picnic. I don't really know what they discussed, um, but it smelled pretty good. And who doesn't like a good cookout? Uh, so that's it for New York. If you like the podcast be sure to share it and leave us a review and if you'd like to learn more about platypus you can find out more about the reading group coffee breaks and public fora by visiting the website platypus1917.org that's the word platypus followed by the numerals 1917.org So we're here with members of the Platypus Affiliated Society who are based in Australia, in Melbourne specifically. We're here with Ryan and Sam for another segment of Shit Platypus Does. And we've got some questions for them about how they came to Platypus and, and what's going on in Australia with the left and questions that their contacts are coming to them with as well. So hi guys, how are you doing? Great, thank you. So I guess we could just open it up with how you came to Platypus. What drew you in? What was the hook that kept you coming back? What drew me in? Just always a general interest about the left, but also found them... I've never joined a left organisation. I've always found them a bit impenetrable. It's sort of that they put that fist on their posters everywhere. Like, there's an issue and there's a fist, or something about socialism. It's sort of... They're not joined to me. Well, in my mind, I couldn't understand why do you have to shove this socialist fist into every political issue? And then just following, listening to podcasts, one day I discovered Zero Books and it had Spencer Leonard and he was talking about Adam Smith. And then it sort of, it clicked for me. I had a, like a frame of reference to what all this actually was about. I have a question for you. Yeah. So you said that you ran into the Zero Books interview, but you had never been part of a left organization. So mm -hmm. how come you started listening to uh, Doug's uh, podcast? I've always always been interested in the left. I was interested in the issues, but I found every organization I came across in my path was just uh, that it was just this practice without any theory behind it. It was just do something, but why? And why are you shoving marks in here? Like I saw a poster recently, refugees. There was about four posters, disability, refugees, something else that's a hot topic in Australia. And everyone was just like, it's get the socialist fist. This is social, socialist alternative and just put a fist on that poster and we're behind it. Well, here's the issue. Why can't you just take it on its own? Why are you shoving this socialist 
thing onto it. And when you go to one of their meetings or you hear them talk, you just can't understand why they're doing it. It's impenetrable. That Does that make sense? It just doesn't connect. It's, it's very alienated. And there was one experience where I work I mean, it's uh, capital city of Australia, Canberra. And this protest went past us about climate change. And everyone at work just looked at them. And it was just the most alienating experience. It was like university students on the ground screaming for climate change and all these workers in offices just staring at them. There was zero connection. And then a couple of weeks later, we had this right-wing little demonstration. And the most, I walked past and the most funniest thing that really surprised me is that about 10 people there were of Aboriginal descent and were part of the protest on a right-wing demonstration. And that, for most people, were just in a cognitive dissonance. But they found more connection with a right-wing group, nationalist group, than they would these uh, university students jumping out of the university, uh, running up to Parliament House, screaming about climate change. Ryan, the same question, how did you come to Platypus? And um, sure. what kept you coming back? Um, well, I was living in the United States in Boston in 2016 and I got sort of swept up in the Bernie campaign post being on the Elizabeth Warren train in 2015. And uh, really the issue that was driving me in that was that the issue of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP, and because a lot of my friends in Australia was telling how this was sort of the NAFTA for Australia, that it was gonna really like be the another neoliberal nail in Australia's economy and the, particularly the patent uh, laws around uh, generic medications and stuff like this. So I really jumped into Bernie to try and get some resistance against the TPP, which under Hillary was almost certainly going to pass. And during that year, I met Pam in, in Boston and sort of she introduced me to Platypus and asked me to you know, look at the PR and start sort of, it sort of entered my idea that somehow there was, that although the Bernie seemed new, there was a lot of like, historical regurgitation, like a lot of Eugene Debs language was floating around, talk of democratic socialism was happening. And it felt like the millennial generation, which I'm a part of, sort of had energy. There was plenty of active energy, people who were willing to spend time to do something, but there was sort of a vacuum of ideas or a confusion of ideas that began in, in 2016. And so also like, you know, the rise of Trump left everyone completely disoriented about politics and about party and populism and socialism. You know, Trump would bring up the specter of communism again. And, and so I sort of mulled on that. And then after it all failed, uh, 2017 came along and then just the disorientation compounded. You know, a new generation of red scare happened, you know, backwards R's appearing in a lot of news broadcast chirons. And and it sort of turned into this sort of immediate sort of changing of the task where during 2016, it was a, a rejection of the Democrats and like, can we form something new outside of the Democrats? And then in 2017, the DSA was sort of disoriented and wanted to maybe run new progressive socialist Democrats. And, and I, I was very confused. And so I started, I joined the DSA in 2017 and it never really interested me that much. It was, a, it was pretty chaotic. But then when the SBS podcast started, I started listening to that and sort of started reconnecting again with the history, like the history of the left and why the, um, like the old historical problems and old historical ideas started reappearing, but in sort of, you know, regressed ways. 
But then particularly uh, Chris Coutrone's article in the PR, The Millennial Left is Dead, struck a chord with me because it seemed like at one time there was, I was one of the many, you know, tens of thousands of people that joined the DSA in 2017, thinking that, wow, we can actually start an American Socialist Party or there's some potential to do something. But very quickly, I didn't have any words to describe it at the time, but only I could start seeing after reading Engaging the Platypus that something had already been missed, that 2016 was the opportunity for something new. And now there was just like a, a sort of a predetermined playing out of events, like another defeat was unrolling slowly. And it took really another four years for me to cement that. I was finishing my PhD. I didn't have that much time to be political between those years. But when I came back, after finishing my PhD, came back to Australia in 2019, I started reading PR again, started reading some of the reading group material and early 2020, I joined up with the other platypus member here, Johnny in Melbourne, and we started the reading group proper. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, was, it wasn't until 2018 when like the squad came in, particularly AOC, that it was much more cemented that the DSA was going to focus on electing Democrats rather than just having sort of a loose affiliation with electoralism, outside of Bernie, that is. Uh, but then it just became that was the strategy, like more Democrats, better Democrats. What platypus activities have you been hosting in Melbourne and what, what kind of questions are new students coming to you with? How's that going? Um, so, yeah, we started, we started actually advertising our reading group uh, in lockdown one, which was our sort of April of 2020. And so we primarily just started and advertised as a reading group. We didn't really have any coffee breaks set up, but we were just were engaging with not necessarily the primary reading group material, but we were just reading various articles and then, and say, come read this with us. We're interested in these kind of ideas, reading some, uh, we read Black Like Mao, a good article on Maoism. We read some Adolf Reed. Uh, we read a little bit of Adam Smith. So we're just sort of picking articles and advertising that we're reading things that were sort of not traditional things that leftists were reading at the time. Um, and it wasn't until really the second, when the this, this semester started proper, that we started actually hosting the, the weekly um, reading group at the proper time. Uh, but still, with the, most of Melbourne was locked down. Most of the other states in Australia were relatively unaffected by uh, coronavirus, but Melbourne was in lockdown of six or seven of the months of 2020. Um, and certainly when the reading group started, we couldn't, a lot of people couldn't leave their homes. You were confined to home. So we were primarily online until things started opening up at the start of 2021. And we started doing some in-person coffee breaks. We sort of tried to start an in-person reading group at the University of Melbourne, which is sort of the biggest university in Melbourne and the most prestigious and right in the heart of town. But we, it, there was another sort of coronavirus scare and another short lockdown. So we sort of abandoned uh, plans to have a regular in-person thing. So at the moment, we just have alternating uh, like weekly online and then um, in-person coffee breaks, but we still do the reading group online. And just on that point, we're also, our first panels are being planned for the next month. So we're hoping to have our first panel in the middle of May on what is capitalism and why should you be against it? Uh-huh. And Sam, so you came in in 2020? Is that right? Yeah, the... Yeah, it was a reading group that really got me in. So that first reading group, I had a bit of a mind blown at the historical consciousness. It always felt was I got that sort of answer that 
I came in for the yeah the reading group. I just found it really the historical nature of society, and that we actually society became aware that it was historical. That I really I thought okay this is something this is something really interesting. And did you guys end up uh, running into the left in Melbourne? What are they up to? What is the left up to there? Uh, well, I had been as I'd been out of the country for about seven years. I had I hadn't really engaged with the left since you know early like twenty ten, but essentially there's just a like a splintered uh, cliffite groups around that are the the socialist entities, and they organise primarily just on campuses. There's not really any uh, outside of the Australian Labor Party, which has more or less of a lock on union activity and union politics. The, the socialist groups are primarily just activist protest organisations that are recruiting on campuses. However, something the newer development was that in, especially in Melbourne, in uh, 2017, there was an electoral coalition formed between the three or two or three of the socialist groups here, the big, more socialist cliffite groups, and called Victorian Socialists. So they were a uh, sort of a multi-tendency, multi group electoral front to help get electoral elected socialists into various local councils and uh so they didn't have any success in the 2017 campaign but they just in the in the last elections they got one new councillor elected um and that and that person joins two other socialist count councillors around the city um and so there's some small electoral gains here and there and, and a lot of seat in a lot of districts they were getting between five and seven percent of the votes or four, four to seven percent of the votes in some places um, so they had a bit of a presence but that's sort of an organizing totem for a lot of the uh, socialist activity these days around vs with regard to platypus as well so also when i came back i started going and attending some of the other socialist events like some online i mean it was all lockdown so primarily online sessions reading groups you know uh, Communist Manifesto reading groups hosted by the Socialist Alternative, Socialist Alliance, Solidarity, some of the Communist Party of Australia ones, just to sort of see what's going on. And uh, as I introduced myself as Platypus, there was some sort of, a few people knew what Platypus was. And now it's, you know, the everyone's quite aware of us because we've invited people on panels and participated and asked questions at their events. What's the meaning of socialism in um, Australia by these various left groups what's the kind of flavor of that um, I'm curious to know I would say I mean in terms of the flavor it's mainly cliffism uh, there is a lot of former ISO groups that are trying to do like a gentler Leninism uh, influenced by a sort of sort of protest activist tailism of various kind of uh, social movements whether it's the refugee rights movement, the indigenous rights movement, LGBT uh, issues, they were all sh show a big presence at those events, also at various strikes that go on around town. So they're sort of, they'll show a presence at almost all of these events. They have all have newspapers as well. They're distributing and recruiting on campuses. Um, and the sort of selling point is that they are, a lot of them are revolutionary socialists and they sort of claim that all the problems of society can only be addressed through some sort of revolution and, you know, just a complete, you know, uh, an anti-capitalism that 
society has sort of gone wrong and all the problems like race, racial issues, immigration issues, etc., will all be addressed, can only be addressed by a revolution of some sort. But there's also milder forms of just sort of social democracy and progressive socialism, like class-based consciousness around various gender or refugee rights. But so earlier you talked about this coalition, the Victorian Socialist Coalition. Those people are for electing quote-unquote socialists. And by you mean by that you mean are these Labour Party people or what? who are these people that are being elected to local councils? So these people are primarily members of some of these Cliffite sects. So from different sects and some of them have branched off as independent uh, socialists but uh, not and primarily just on local issues they're like more progressive local issues there's not really any uh, thing to distinguish them and certainly from their like uh, the mailers they give out it's not really clear that they are um, there's any sort of socialism on the agenda just more progressive liberalism that they want to welcome more refugees you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's, um, but also just sort of a consciousness and a, a sort of a, a mentioning of capitalism as being the problem, which sort of distinguishes them because they're mainly running up against the progressive petty bourgeois greens, like invite eco progressives that sort of advocate on the same issues, but aren't as critical of capitalism. Won't even, won't even name it. It's kind of the Voldemort problem that they have. They won't even, you know, name the beast that they're supposedly against but and are these the same people then or these different groups that you described as quote-unquote revolutionary yeah they would they would i think some of them would sort of emphasize their revolutionary bona fides but they wouldn't it it certainly isn't a a present on any of their electoral material i don't think i think i think they sort of advocate the party sort of the the socialism sort of behind the scenes and the electoral front it's called victorian socialist but it's not really mentioned what it means to be socialist uh, you, other than socialism means that identifying capitalism is the problem i was wondering what uh new student the questions that new students come to you with um, and what are the concerns of young people i'm just really curious i wanted to give our listeners a taste of what those reading group meetings i guess like what what's being brought up now that we have some activity in melbourne like what what is uh being raised in these conversations i think the the thing that i think has distinguishes platypus amongst all the other pedagogy on the left here is that the distinction between capitalism and bourgeois society that has been something that many of our readers have sort of found most fascinating but also has clarified things for them the most because we really sort of posed the question like what is capitalism and that's why our first we chose our first panel to be on that question because for many socialists uh, or self-avowed socialists in melbourne so capitalism is just a, a social relation it's like it's a motive a production for profit greed of some capitalists and it sort of stretches back maybe you know 400 maybe 600 years it, it has some various definitions but to really platypus really focuses on that like the very historical problem of capitalism in the industrial revolution and and to distinguish sort of the the positive dialectic of bourgeois society 
and its you know self-conception as a positive development of freedom with the sort of degradation and the destruction of society in capitalism and really pinning that historically to the industrial revolution and really emphasizing that like the the change from a positive to a negative dialectic that's something that i think a lot of our readers have the grads sort of grad student readers have really engaged with and Platypus has sort of become known for that distinction, just really clarifying the foundational issues. And a lot of people, have, uh, we're starting the in-person reading group um, in Melbourne uh, next semester. And a lot of people are coming to that primarily over interest of wanting to read Adam Smith, for example, and Hegel and philosophy of history. So yeah, students come to us primarily just wanting to read Adam Smith, you know, something that has been taboo on the left and um, although it was so influential for Karl Marx. And so that has become something that we're sort of known for, that we don't have, we don't institute taboos on various types of thinking or certainly of, you know, readers, uh, sort of writers of that period, bourgeois, radical intellectuals. And so a lot of people have come to us wanting to participate in our reading group, primarily just for that first part of the reading group, the radical bourgeois thought and Smith and uh, Rousseau, et cetera. And so that's, I think, where we're going to pick up a lot of either ex-members, uh, there's still like a lot of young members who have joined into these sectarian groups and then left before they've finished undergrad. I think we might be able to engage with them on those issues. Mm-hmm. I was just about to add, like, that real connection between Marx and what came before him, I think is really important because we almost, I say, we see Marx from the north side, we just see Marx and revolution, but we rarely make the connection that he was just continuing a task that was before him, but on different conditions, you know, industrial capitalism. I think that's a, a really big eye-opener. And Bonaparte is society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's, that's a general, maybe that's a, a kind of symptom in Australia that reflects a, a general uh, shift in platypus. I think Smith was introduced into the syllabus maybe now three years ago to our main reading group syllabus, and it has attracted a lot of interest from our university students and seems to be a missing link here between this high point of bourgeois optimism and the self-transformation of society and the project for socialism, right? So as opposed to a kind of rejection of uh, liberal ideals, um, Mm -hmm. Marx can be placed within this history of trying to realize the highest hopes of bourgeois society. I think that's something that makes platypus unique on the on the left. Um, so I guess that's why you chose the the topic for the panel discussion. Um, what is capitalism and why you, why should you be against it? Um, to address those those questions that were coming up. Yeah, precisely. It's that I, I think there's a lot of work that could be done just even discussing definitions and historical change of definitions and. I mean, not just that, not that that's what we're the panel to be about precisely, but mainly we want to investigate the question of, you know, all these different groups have different definitions of capitalism somewhat, but more importantly, what that definition means for their socialism. How does it, how does that definition task their movement, but also how does they think, they think of their movement as tied up in capitalism and in its, uh, its disintegration of society seeing as a lot of these Trotskyist groups have just gone through a hyper splintering over the last um, you know, 30 years and all the ones that remain have essentially the, the armour that was required to keep them alive, whereas most of the other ones have completely uh, vanished. 
And so how they view the, the, the problems of capitalism, the tasks of overcoming capitalism in terms of their current practice and why the, how they are justifying themselves. I was just going to ask like, the effect that, that Trump has had, has had yeah. on the Australian left. Well, Trump's evil. He's, he's devil incarnate if you talk to people who would vote centre-left. My father's from Spain. He would identify himself as like a unionist. Um, he would vote for Trump, likes Trump. It's quite interesting to see that comparison. I was at a party. My father, the host, is from uh, El Salvador. He had to escape because he was part of a leftist organisation way back in the 80s. And he also said to me that he, he too thought Trump was better than Biden. It was, just, it was an interesting... So you have this sort of very strange dichotomy, like the working class here would sort of identify with Trump. But yeah, I guess people who vote centre-left labour all the time for like progressive values, not for, because they're the Labour, a unionist party, for progressive values, we'll see Trump as the devil incarnate and certain that he want, he wanted to create a fascist state in America. So there's no, you can't debate, you can't reason. It's... Have you had any any kind of symptoms, Trump-like symptoms in Australia? We had the whole kind of like Farage Brexit thing. At Clive Palmer, we had a, we had a billionaire mining tycoon, larger than life, offensive uh, bloviator who ran, started a micro party and sort of swept a lot of sort of rural uh, and working class areas and then sort of he's disappeared now in some sense but there was a bit of a flash in the pan of that for about four or five years but I think now things have largely returned to the sort of two-party status quo there is a sort of a, a figure on the far center far right uh, Pauline Hansen, the sort of anti-immigration far right who has been sort of anti- Chinese influence in Australia for a long time, anti-welfare, etc. And so she's sort of back in popularity on the far right again now that those sort of issues are, are hot again. But it's, uh, yeah, it's not so much, but it's, it's more that I think the sort of, I think one thing about Platypus for me in particular was how to see, how to see Trump and, and Bernie and Brexit as kind of phenomenal of the crisis of neoliberalism, especially the global financial crisis. And the big, the big difference for Australia is we weathered the global financial crisis incredibly well. We had a, a government stimulus program that sort of just gave everyone checks in the mail and the government spending essentially matched the deficit from the um, private sector. And I think out of all the countries, it was, it was barely felt here. Or at least that was my experience as a student at the time, but it didn't really motivate the kind of political uprising and it didn't have as many reverberations other than a sort of like a, a need. There's Australia sort of lives in the shadow of US politics a lot and we feel like we're kind of a, a US uh, proxy state in uh, South Asia to sort of position against China. And so every time there's like Trump-China tensions, that's that sort of reflect a little bit in Australia, but I don't think anything too substantial along those lines. Other than exactly what Sam was saying is that there's kind of a undigested, uh, like no one's really comprehended Trump without his, in a non-hysterical way. It's like the reaction to him is we just have to be against him. We can't possibly as a left comprehend why Trump would happen and historically what he would mean. And 
you know, as a phenomenon. But we'll provide links to Platypus Australia in the description. So if we have any Australian listeners that want to get involved, um, they can find you guys and reach out. And I guess even if you're not based in Melbourne, we can still find ways of connecting you. Yeah, our, our reading group is online. So and we have members from all across Australia on, in the RG, but we'll be sort of splitting into an in-person Melbourne one and an Australian at-large reading group next semester. And is the panel planned for the university, the University of Melbourne? It's right next to it, hopefully. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, we look forward to that. Keep up the good work. And thanks for talking to us today. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay. Cheers. Bye, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye.